0: That's unifyd com slash wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.
1: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1
0: Blue Is he starting to win money? Back out to Allen. History five. Time is with five
2: seconds remaining! Is there anything you don't gamble?
3: Uh. Not really.
0: Gambling gods, Fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Oh. Gambler's not your problem. You're just an idiot.
2: And we
1: welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by our co-host and producer, Alex Uplinger. Find him managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. We're recording late on a Thursday night, early on a Friday morning on the East Coast. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose to the Chicago Bears to open week four in Chicago, or check that, week five. Things are moving right along uh, in the National Football League. Alex, good to have you aboard again. How you doing?
3: Greg, I'm doing great. Riding a little high of the Chicago plus 4.5, so that was nice. Yeah, there you go.
1: Yeah, I saw you uh, got on the Bears, and uh, yeah, it's it it is frustrating. I saw your text that you were thinking about the money line live. That's always a, uh, a tough scene when you, I I personally have felt that not taking something that wins is worse than losing.
3: I completely agree. It it always bites you. Yeah. And especially when it's maybe something you're trying to lock in and it's tough live, it gets, gets taken down quick and you can't quite get in and then it hits. That's always a, terrible feeling.
1: You know, because here's the thing, We're, you're going to be wrong, right? We all are going to have poor reads and bad handicaps, but if I have a good handicap and I don't cash in on it, that is a thorn in the side, for sure.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So let's jump right in. We're going to go in rotation order for week five. Worth noting that there are some COVID-related games that are not on the board right now, and also uh, just a situation brewing with Lamar Jackson, that has taken the Cincinnati and Baltimore game off the board. So we'll cover those as well. Obviously, New England and Denver, as of this recording, is scheduled to be played as the front end of another Monday Night Football doubleheader. And then we'll have a Tuesday game, fingers crossed, in Nashville between the Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills. Alex, I'm just curious, from your perspective, we've talked before on this podcast about the front-loading of early 1 o'clock Eastern kicks, and obviously this will hopefully, meaning the games are played, mark back-to-back weeks with a Monday Night Football doubleheader. Are you a proponent of this moving forward? Do you think maybe given the COVID season and now that the league has a look at what a Monday Night Football doubleheader looks, not just on week one but in other weeks of the season, think it's something that they could do moving forward?
3: Yeah, I definitely do. I don't see why they couldn't do two games Monday night, like, what they did, they staggered them. It started at seven last week, and then I think it was nine. So I, it I sounds think this
1: like week is going to start even earlier.
3: Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think there's enough NFL fans and bettors that will easily watch all the games they put on. So, yeah, I'm all for two games.
1: Well, right, and, I mean, just think about the Thursday games. I mean, last week, I think you and I both didn't miss a snap of the Jets and the Broncos.
3: Exactly. I mean, that, was, that ended up actually being pretty fun, too. That was one of the better ones with all the scoring,
1: right. despite
3: uh, how poorly played it was and all the penalties. And so it's going to be fun. a 5
1: o'clock Eastern kick at Gillette between the Broncos and the Pats on Monday, and then they're going to have the normal eight fifteen Eastern kick for Monday Night Football between uh, the Sharks. Uh, yeah. and the Saints.
3: Yeah. I'm all for it. I have nothing on that first game, but I know I will come 5 p.m. <laughs> Eastern. You, you have right. to. Football before 6 p.m. That yeah. Monday
1: afternoon rush, getting yeah. done from work, get some action in there. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about where we're going with our investments for week five in the NFL. Hasn't been treating me too well so far, but hopefully the second quarter of the season turns things around. And we're going to go to Hotlanta to start our talk in the rotation, four five one, the Carolina Panthers heading to Atlanta to take on 4-5-2, the Atlanta Falcons. Carolina, a one-point underdog in this game, a total of fifty three and a half. and And it's worth noting that Carolina has taken significant money in this game as the Panthers have been one of the more surprising stories of the NFL season. We obviously just finished watching the Chicago Bears go to 4-and-1, and I think they have surprised a lot of people. But the Panthers, just being at 2-and-2 two two, through four games, Widely considered to be one of the worst teams in the league going into the year, and maybe it still turns out that way. But Carolina's been impressive. Joe Brady's offense has looked good, and it really seems like Matt Rule has something cooking there. Obviously, the Panthers, I understand this move, to be totally honest with you. You have Atlanta off of a short week that really looks like a lifeless team. I mean, beforehand, you can make the argument for Atlanta, okay, well, they're losing these games or they're getting the leads, and then they're just blowing the games. And then last week against Green Bay, they're really never in that game. And I know Green Bay has been one of the more surprising teams as well with how successful they've been. But it's a Falcons team that I don't think anybody wants to lay over a field goal with. Um, and, And I think we're obviously seeing that show up now in the market with this line having moved through the key of three and all the way down to one. And it's a Carolina team that, as I said, it seems like the coaching staff has connected with the players. Christian McCaffrey no Christian McCaffrey they seem to be playing hard and you know you're going to get 60 minutes of good effort from them which against this Atlanta team might be enough to win the game all that said I stay away here because ultimately I do think it's more about the Panthers maybe regressing a little bit than it is the Falcons you know positively aggressing regressing excuse me um so I I can't get there with Atlanta by no means but I just don't know if I want Carolina in this specific spot. Uh, I know you were on this game early in the week with Atlanta. Line moves. Now you're on the other side. Uh, just take us through a little bit about how you kind of saw this game and ultimately why you've landed with the Panthers.
3: Yeah, this is pretty much just a fade of Dan Quinn. So I saw a trend earlier that he's 18 and 33 as a favorite throughout his career. And then just how banged up the Falcons' secondary is. Um, Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen, they both were limited in practice today, so that could be a huge upgrade for them. But it looks like corners uh, A.J. Terrell and Tarquez Dinard, both are going to be out. And then also they just lost two more safeties last week. Uh, Casey and Hawkins, one went down with a concussion and one with an Achilles. And the Falcons' secondary has just been putrid so far. They're second worst in the NFL in points allowed per game, at 34.5 points per game. And then they allow the second most passing yards per game. Also, uh, Julio didn't practice today, and then Calvin Ridley was limited. So initially I was thinking maybe over, just with how bad the Falcons' secondary is. But then it kind of made me go back to Carolina with potentially no Julio. I'd be surprised if he plays with a hamstring. So ultimately I just think, Carolina has enough on offense to to win outright and uh, exploit the secondary.
1: All year in the preseason, you kind of, I thought they would be a good over team because while nobody thought they'd be that good, I think we knew that they were going to be able to put some points on the board with McCaffrey and DJ Moore and and Robbie Anderson has really uh, shined brightly there uh, in Charlotte. And, Joe Brady coming in, a pretty smart offensive mind. What's really impressed me, though, about Carolina so far, and I think this is where I think it speaks stronger to your play on the Panthers, is how well their defense has played. Uh, you look at the two wins that they've had, and I know that one of them was against the Chargers, who you know are an offense that, at least at that moment, was a little bit of a work in progress. Chargers looked better offensively last week against Tampa. But they only allowed 16 points against the Chargers, And then an Arizona offense that we know was very hyped and really was the talk of the league two weeks into the year pretty much, they really shut them down. You know, Kyler Murray could not get a lot going against them. So that's where my excitement would come from with Carolina is that you have a very young defense here that seems to be playing inspired and wants to really prove that there are some NFL players. Jeremy Chin, the rookie safety, looks really good. Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn has proven to be worth the seventh overall draft pick. If this defense continues to play well, they're going to win this game because as you said, the Atlanta defense has been a nightmare. So those are my thoughts kind of on Carolina probably lean that way. uh, But ultimately I'll probably stay away from this one. Any final words on uh, Carolina and Atlanta?
3: I think it's worth noting if Julio can't go they're they're in big trouble. They're, They're going to be going with an old, rickety Todd Gurley and maybe a banged-up Ridley and then a a third-wide receiver. Hurst Hurst is solid, but I can't see them putting up too many points. That's why I stayed away from the over and ultimately landed on Carolina to win outright.
1: All right, let's go from one divisional matchup to another, from the NFC South to the AFC West, where we have the Las Vegas Raiders. Catching 11 and a half on the highway against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs, obviously, you're paying a premium with them when it comes to backing them against the number. But give them credit. They have been covering these big lines. 3-1 against the spread this year are the Chiefs. And, of course, 4-0 and oh, straight up. Uh, and when we look at the Raiders... Uh, I think it's pretty simple. Derek Carr, in his career, has not played that well at all at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, and this is one of the stadiums that is allowing some fans in. Uh, But the Raiders last week really couldn't keep up with the Buffalo Bills and the offensive juggernaut that they've been uh, as the Bills got out in that game and continued to uh, really front run pretty much the whole way 14-3 early lead for Buffalo and uh, Vegas got within one point at 17-16 but then the Bills continued to uh, play from ahead and if that's a similar game script again I there's no chance here And and, and Kansas City will probably cover another big number I think the only chance for Vegas is to go in there and dominate in the first half and get Josh Jacobs going right from the game, right from the get-go, because not only did we see Vegas chasing points against Buffalo, but remember when they were pretty steep underdogs, still less than a touchdown, against New England a couple of weeks ago, the Patriots got out in that game and had a 13-3 to lead, and ultimately that game never got any closer than the 13-10 score that it was in half. So the point being here... The Raiders aren't a team that you really want to count on when they need to play from behind, and I think that could be the situation here. Probably going to stay away. We also have another high total here of 55, and uh, we know about the Chiefs offensively, and, and the Raiders have been at least respectable on the offensive side of the ball. So I just don't see anything here that I want to play. I don't know how you see this, Alex, but this will be a stay away for me.
3: I think your point about Josh Jacobs kind of leans to the under. I have nothing official, but I think if the Raiders are going to keep this remotely close, then I think it it has to go under. I think that they're going to have to run the ball and control the game, like you're saying, try to keep Mahomes on the sideline as much as they can possible. So I think it will be a heavy dose of Josh Jacobs. I think this could go under. It feels a little high for, for this total.
1: Yeah, I mean, and hey, the Chiefs, if there's one weakness, you know, one Achilles heel, it would be that their run defense is not very good. And so I think that we know that Oakland or check that Las Vegas, they're going to want to be aggressive in the run game and try and hit some big plays with their first round draft pick from a year ago. Um, The question is, you know, how, how sustainable can it be? Because we know that New England was a team that even had Cam Newton played last week. We knew that New England was going to be a team that wanted to come at them with the run. And, you know, for a while in that game, I think the Patriots were executing their game plan, keeping it low scoring. But the problem is, how long can you keep the Chiefs offense at bay? And I know you're not making a case for the Raiders, but maybe that's the exact blueprint that we need here for another under. What we saw New England do was go in there, play good defense early in the game, and run the football, and, I mean, gosh, the Patriots did gash them for 185 yards on the ground. Final score ends up being 26-10 Kansas City, but that's the thing with these totals in these Chiefs games, is that they are obviously going to be really high, and up in the mid-50s, and so if you do get a slow start, then you don't have to sweat anything, it's still going to stay under, even after the Chiefs offense wakes up. Like it did against the Patriots last week, so just something to note there with the, with the the value in the number and, and to get a game over a total of fifty five, fifty six, the offenses have to be clicking almost right from the start.
3: Yeah, and I don't think I don't think Carr can can necessarily be clicking from the start exactly. That's a great point. It's kind of has to go pretty much perfect unless there's a bunch of turnovers, a maybe a pick six or so. 55 is just really tough to get over, but also we've been crushed on under, so I'm a little hesitant to play that.
1: So let's keep things moving and go to the nation's capital where we have the Washington football team hosting the L.A. Rams, Rams number 457 in the rotation, total of 47 in this game. And obviously the big story is the Home team here, the Washington football team, making the change at quarterback. Ron Rivera going to his former quarterback in Carolina, Kyle Allen. Dwayne Haskins is benched. Alex, before we get into side and total in this game, uh, what, you know, you're in that area. What'd you make of the Haskins benching this week? I kind of looked at it as, well, it's probably just as simple as a new coaching staff that granted, was working in the NFL last year with Carolina and therefore scouted Haskins, I'm sure, and when you see them pull the plug this quickly, I think it's a sign that they probably weren't that high on Haskins in the first place, and now that he hasn't played well, it was always going to be a short leash, and in a bad NFC East, they might think, hey, you know, Kyle Allen in Carolina won us a few games and at least kept us competitive, let's see what happens, and If we do stink, then we're going to be at the top of the draft again looking for another quarterback. So that was my read on the quarterback change in Washington. I wonder how you see it.
3: I honestly think it's complete bullshit. I think it was entirely too early. Um, Really? Yeah, I don't know how you can uh, start the year saying that this is our quarterback and then you have to give him four games. Also, he was coming off one of his better performances. Uh, granted, no touchdowns, but no picks, uh, three for so, 200-something Like,
1: If you think that, then, like, how do you think the team responds? Like, how do you think the rest of those guys for Washington will go out there and play? Like, are they going to check out, or is it an alarm clock going off that, hey, nobody's safe here? Like, how do you kind of look at this from a motivational edge? Yeah, I
3: don't know. it. It might be a slight upgrade with Kyle Allen just because he's the so well-versed. The for versed him higher, right? Like, and he's just more well-versed in his offense. Also, they were reporting that Haskins, his work ethic was low and his his prep and studying was down, which I could see. So I think Kyle Allen is probably a bookworm guy, and he's really uh, got a grasp on this offense. And I mean, he did fairly well last year. They averaged... 24.9 points per game in his starts. So, I mean that's pretty solid con- considering what they've been doing so far this year. I just I think it was a little too early, especially how Haskins looked uh, last week against the Ravens. He didn't he didn't look bad. He performed pretty well. I just think if this is uh, your first round pick the other year, you kind of have to give him a little longer at least. Granted this is a new regime so. It's not their guy by any means. So I I can understand the move. I just think it was entirely too early. So as far as we
1: look at this game, you know, I don't have much here because I have no interest in laying this kind of a number with the Rams uh, who are making another trip cross-country, although McVay has been pretty good in the Eastern time zone. The Rams, and we'll get to the Giants later on, the Rams looked lifeless last week offensively and it certainly didn't look like a team that should be given this many points. But at the same time, you know, so while I, when I first saw this number before the quarterback change, I thought, oh, well, I might look to back Washington here. You know, this this seems pretty steep And Washington. Let's remember that game against Baltimore for us gamblers was, was right on the number, you know, and, Baltimore ends up covering the closing line by the hook. But if you got in early on Washington plus the 14 and a half, you cashed as it landed right on 14. So the point I'm making is I initially thought, all right, well, you know, Antonio Gibson, the young back looks good there. And McLaurin's a good young receiver. They at least have some young pieces and certainly a lot more young pieces on defense where you can point to and say, all right, they're, they're building a little something. And so my initial lean was to that side. But then the Kyle Allen stuff, while I do think, as I said, maybe his floor is a little higher because Haskins just seems to be this big dart throw every week, and Allen, as you said, knows the system and should go out and make the safe throws, it ultimately became a stay away for me because I just don't know how the rest of that team responds. Again, it's a pretty young team. So initially was leaning towards Washington – uh, because the Rams just don't didn't look like a team that should be given this many points against the Giants last week uh but then the quarterback change just said you know what I'm going to I'm going to sit this one out. You actually like the total though.
3: Yeah, I'm actually in the same boat. I, I was looking at the side initially and then the quarterback change kind of screwed me up but I'm still going to ride with the over. Um Ron Rivera's kind of an over machine as an underdog. He's 20 and 1 to the over when he is a dog of more than six points and currently they're plus 8.5. That that feels high and over 45 doesn't feel like that much. Granted, Terry McLaurin was limited in practice today, but he was also limited last Thursday and then he went out and played and had 10 receptions on 14 targets. So I think he's going to go. And I said earlier, Kyle Allen last year in 12 games averaged 24.9 points per game. If they can muster something similar to that, I think it easily goes over. Forty-five just doesn't feel that high, especially with a Rams team that should be able to move the ball and score some points. Yeah, I think this goes over pretty comfortably. I, I see it maybe a like twenty-eight, twenty-four Rams victory, which would which would hit both numbers. I just can't confidently play the side. I'd I'd rather take the over here.
1: So it sounds like you're agreeing with me, though, that you would probably lean Washington on the side.
3: Yeah, I think that's just too many points. I don't think the Rams are are that much better than Washington. Not eight point five points, no.
1: Let's keep things moving and go to another division game in the National Football League. It's uh four five nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars traveling west to take on the Houston Texans in a battle of a couple of AFC South foes. And we have Jacksonville catching five on the highway, a total of 54 in this game. And obviously this is the first game post Bill O'Brien in Houston. And you always hear those stories about locker room stuff and players not getting along with the coach. And sure enough, we hear one this week about J.J. Watt and Bill O'Brien. Things always seem to come out when the coach is out the door. Uh, And, and, you know, naturally you kind of gravitate towards the there's, you know, the handicap that you hear a lot of people say in season coaching firings. You want to back the team the following week when the coach leaves because it kind of puts everybody on notice and maybe they didn't even like the coach in the first place. So I was really thinking Houston when I saw the news of O'Brien. But that was the first thing I did was look to see who their opponent was and look to see what the line was because this happened early in the week on, I guess it would have been Tuesday, um, maybe Monday, but whenever it was, I hadn't looked a ton at the openers yet. And then I see they're giving six points against Jacksonville, and I was really disappointed because I wanted to back the Texans. But then I said to myself, you know, I don't think I can get there at this number. And sure enough, we have seen this line be been bet down uh, by about a point. And again, I just think it's the simple fact that It's a Houston offense that, under Deshaun Watson, has not been humming the same way and certainly seems to miss DeAndre Hopkins. The acquisition of Brandon Cooks really has not given them that big play threat they hoped he would bring in the offense. And, you know, it's a defense that just got shredded by Minnesota last week and, you know, really has not looked very good at all this season and I know that their schedule has been tough but the Ravens ran right through them in a game that wasn't that competitive and the Chiefs had their way with them and the Texans or the Steelers excuse me were still able to get into the upper 20s on the Houston Texans so it's not a team I want to give over a field goal with by any stretch of the imagination but you know then the other thing is like do you want Jacksonville like I don't you know they they just lost to the Bengals last week so um, if I had to make a play on the game, you know we are seeing a total of 54, which is a high total, uh, but I would think that Houston's offense, that's maybe where the O'Brien stuff might come in a little more. Maybe they get more creative. Maybe they just try a few more things. What do you have to lose? You're 0-4. You just fired your coach. And I think any time you take some more risks offensively, that's either going to lead to big plays or it's going to lead to turnovers, which means short fields for your opponent. So I think maybe over could make sense, even though this is a pretty high total, but I'm going to stay away and sit this game out
3: yeah i'm not I'm not confident in any of these teams i don't I don't have much. Um, I think there is something to be said about interim coaches. I'd love to see a, a trend on how teams perform uh, the week after a coach gets fired. I feel like they do get up for a new coach and for interim coaching. Romeo Crennel is a offensive-minded guy. Anything oh, no, he's defense be... guy. Cronel. Oh, he's a defense. Okay.
1: He was Belichick's defensive coordinator for a while. You're right. All
3: You're right. That's on I me. Mean. Well, <laughs> anything has to be an upgrade over uh Bill O'Brien and his in his play calling and his offensive ineptitude. So I would lean Houston at home, but nothing nearly confident enough to play. I I hope this game is not show much on red zone. I, I would rather not see it at all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think it's kind of that simple. This is one that, you know, you got two bottom feeders in the AFC South, and I think this division is going to be all about the haves and have-nots, where we have Indianapolis this and is, Tennessee. If Tennessee can kind of get through its COVID problems, it should be a fun battle between the Colts and the Titans in this division. And then we have the two other teams that – I don't think anybody wants a piece of and and
2: rightfully
3: yeah. so this is the game at the bar that's just on the very far corner t v that you you barely even look at you don't even really notice it's even going on
1: you know it is worth noting uh since uh the uh, two thousand three as action Network had this twenty eight teams have fired their coach in season uh, including uh. Two last year, Jay Gruden in Washington and Ron Rivera in Carolina, and those twenty-eight teams have gone twelve and sixteen straight up in the next game and fourteen and fourteen against the spread. So, you know, maybe there isn't the advantage we thought.
3: <laughs> no, you know, so that's like the epitome of a stay-away game.
1: Stay away, right? Because because I think anytime you fire your coach, there's two very distinct angles. It could either motivate everybody and it could be that, you know, red alert, you know, put everybody on notice that big changes are coming and you better earn your spot on this roster
3: or Or they just uh, check out completely. Just check out. Exactly.
1: Nobody cares if they're not going to keep the coach, then what good do I have to what purpose do I serve here the rest of the season? So, yeah, I would stay away from the Jags and the Texans on Sunday. Here's another game that I don't have a whole lot of interest in. We're going to go up to MetLife Stadium where we have the New York Jets hosting the Arizona Cardinals, Arizona, number four six three in the rotation. A total of 47 in this one. The Cardinals are laying seven as they return back to the East Coast as they played the Carolina Panthers last week, went back to the desert. Now they're back on the East Coast in the Northeast this time against the Jets. Joey Flacco is going to get the start for the Jets. I laugh as I say that because he's still in the league. I kind of forgot it until he took (laughs) – Darnold hurts his shoulder on Thursday night football, and and just when you thought Thursday couldn't even get worse, it's the Joe Flacco revenge game against the Broncos, and then Darnold comes back in and finishes the game, but then he actually is still hurt. So now Flacco is going to play, and – Adam Gase is still employed by the Jets. I don't, you know, how did he not become the first coach fired? But, yeah,
3: how did he survive that?
1: How did that he, must
3: have been a bad beat for a lot of people.
1: Oh, I'm sure it was. And I mean, gosh, don't you so have to think?
3: Phil O'Brien had he had the toughest schedule to start the year, so to think he would be fired after that before Adam Gase—that's tough. That's a tough beat.
1: Don't you think if Gase is still there? And they just kept him after playing a Thursday game, where an interim coach would have had some more time. I think there's a chance. This might sound crazy. I think there's a chance Gates lasts the season.
3: I wouldn't be surprised at all. It it seems like they're punting. Maybe Gates gives them a a way better shot at the first overall pick, the tank for <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Well, right.
1: So, I mean, think about it. Why
3: change now?
1: You know, New England and Buffalo are the cream of the crop in that division. And you mentioned the Texans. I think that there was at least some sentiment that that roster still had talent and was underachieving. And given everything that they had poured into competing in 2020, and granted it was Bill O'Brien's decision-making running the personnel department, when you trade the amount of draft capital that he's traded, and the and you give the amount of you know the heavy extensions that they've given to some of their players, if you don't have results right away, things are going to change. Whereas the Jets, I think we all knew that they were going to be bad, right? It was just a question of how bad they were. So, like, how often does a team that everybody thought might be four and twelve or five and eleven, how often does a team fire its coach, like? Four weeks into the season, like I just think that's the argument for gay staying there, is that well they didn't think they were going to be that good anyway, so they'll just bottom out, get the first pick, and that'll be how they sell things to a new coach.
3: Yeah, I think this this has Eric Bieniemy written all over it. You bring in right the Chiefs' offensive coordinator with Trevor, hey, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence,
1: and there
2: you go. Yeah, know.
3: I think that that would be a perfect fit.
1: But as far as this game, I I really don't have a whole lot of interest because Arizona, let's just look at what they've done the last two weeks. Losing at home to the Lions is a a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Outright loss. Going on the road, I thought that was a little bit of a trap spot. Granted, I didn't take Carolina, but I think that was a little bit of a trap. Only laying three in Charlotte against the Panthers, and the Panthers were in control of that game. We talked about that earlier when we talked about Carolina and Atlanta. So now you have Arizona, and, and I'm, you know, the more I think about it, I am annoyed that I didn't have Carolina last week because you had an Arizona team that, as I said, for two weeks, everybody was talking about them, and it was, oh, Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, and, and they were really exciting. They went to San Francisco, and we were on that game week one, and they win the game outright against the Niners. And and then they kick the crap out of Washington, and they're 2-0, and and everybody's all on the Arizona hype train. And so much so to the point where there were people looking at their schedule saying, all right, the next three are Detroit, Carolina, and the Jets. And then after that, they play Dallas. So they're going to be 5-0 and going to Monday Night Football and playing the Dallas Cowboys in Week 6. And any time a team like that immediately sees the hype ramp up, to the degree it did with Arizona, that streams fade to me. I did have the Lions in week three against Arizona, but I didn't have Carolina last week. And the point I'm making here is anytime the strip flips very quickly on a team like Carolina or Arizona that's dealing with those expectations, I always wonder how things are going to be. You think of them, they're normally a good underdog because they have the offense and you know they're going to score points. But do we trust them as hefty favorites week in and week out? I'm not ready to get there yet with the Cardinals. And obviously, I want no part of the Jets. Stay away on the side. Total, we're sitting at 47 in this game. It's another one where I might have to count on Arizona to get 40 or 35 of the 47. Because I just have no clue what an offense quarterback by Joe Flacco looks like in 2020. So... I have no play on this game. And I, I don't see how anybody can play this game. I mean, seriously, like, I would have to think of all the games that the books take action on in Vegas. Like, this is going to be one of the least bet games. That's just my two cents. As for, Unless you want to use Arizona and teasers and things like Moneyline Parlays. But straight up, the spread and the total, like, I, I just don't see how anybody is that interested here.
3: <laughs> Admittedly, I was the... Conductor of the Arizona hype train. I was, <laughs> I was all on Murray MVP, Arizona win their division.
1: I, did you actually have but, those
3: bets? I uh, have the MVP, but I did not have the division. Thankfully, okay. There's no chance that happens. Seattle's rolling. They're not. They're all not right. going to slow down anytime soon. No, this game is a complete stay away. I, I would maybe look to Jets team total under. I really do not believe in. 2020 Joe Flacco, but yeah, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even tease Arizona with your money. I I cannot I cannot play anything on this game at all.
1: Right. I mean, you see them getting beat up by Carolina last week. Like they weren't even in that game most of the way.
3: No, it was embarrassing. I you know? and I was on Arizona and there it wasn't competitive at all. Like
1: I think that's one, and I don't know how much of that you were actually watching, like play by play. But if you were. I would have to think that's a game where, when you look at it, you probably felt in the second quarter that it was over. Like, it just felt like one of those games where Arizona had no life.
3: Yeah, it was, it was done from the start. Carolina betters weren't sweating for a second. There, there was no fight at all.
1: So let's move on to a game that we're both a little more interested in, and it is the Battle of Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Western P.A., to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh of course off of that unplanned bye week in week excuse me in week 4. And then we have Philadelphia coming back east after a big victory in San Francisco against the San Francisco 49ers as 9 point underdogs. Something I tweeted out last week and again I'm an Eagles fan so I th- I like to think I have a pretty good read on their team. The Eagles are going to be one of these teams. When when you see these big lines, if you like them, more, more often than not, you're probably going to want to play the money line. And if you want to fade them, just lay the points. You know, don't tease Pittsburgh or use them in money line parlors. Because the point being is, you know, last week the Eagles really needed to get right, and they needed to kind of find some steam and find some positive energy and. Find a find a victory against. At that point, it was a backup quarterback. So that's kind of how I saw it, and why I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on the Eagles on the money line, and, and that ultimately cashed it longer than three to one. But here I, I look at it the complete other way, where now we have a really bad spot, I think, for the Eagles. Cross country travel back east off a primetime Sunday night game, and we have a Pittsburgh team that I think is going to be really hungry to step on the football field again. Ben Roethlisberger mentioned it, how they're pissed off that they got to play all these games in a row now, with the bye week being as early as it ended up being for them. It would have been in week eight, which is kind of right in the middle when you like it. So I think it's going to be a very mad Pittsburgh team that, let's remember, is a lockdown defense. So while Carson Wentz looked like he righted the ship a little bit last week, I wouldn't be surprised if he reverts back to the Carson Wentz that we saw the first three weeks of the season. Uh, And and then Pittsburgh's defense really brings out all the stops. I actually think the under is an interesting play here too, because one thing that I do think is consistent for Philly, while I mentioned how I think week in and week out, they're going to be a tricky team to read on and, and what team you're getting might, we might not know. I think the one thing that's consistent is that their defensive line is still very good. And so I would think that their D-line is going to be able to pressure Roethlisberger enough here to keep this game under the total. I would lean under 44, but I think the better play is to lay the 7 with the Steelers because I think you're going to get a mad Pittsburgh team that is hungry to get back on the field, as I said. Probably has a few more tricks up its sleeve having the extra time to prepare. I'll lay the 7 with the Steelers. Yeah,
3: I'm completely with you. I think this is a perfect spot to buy on the Steelers, and I think the Eagles are going to come out flat. Coming off a big win as an underdog. of have a little trend here. Since 2010, teams coming off an upset win as a dog of six or more. They've gone 13-39-1 against the spread in their next game. I heard this
1: this week, actually. I think that's a good trend because you think about it. Come off the highest of highs. Right, you're coming up the highest of highs, you just get a big win, you know, like the Eagles did, and then you're still an underdog. So what does that take? Not only is it, you know, coming up the highest of highs, trying to find a way to, you know, not, not be on cloud nine, right, and just play another football game, which can be an emotional battle for teams. But if you're an underdog of six or more in back-to-back games, you're probably just not that good. You know, and, and that's how I still feel about the Eagles. While they won at San Fran last week, I'm not ready to all of a sudden say they're back. I think this is going to be a very frustrating limp to the finish line, and they're going to end up going 6-9-1 and one, or 7-8-1, and one, something like that. And this is a Pittsburgh team that's going to win a lot more than six or seven games.
3: And Lane Johnson limited today that offensive-wise is in shambles already. How are you going to stop that? That Pittsburgh front seven is dominant.
1: Oh, it's amazing.
3: Dupree Correct. and Watt coming off the end, good right. luck. You know, also, if you think about it, you
1: think about how you you want to have the playmakers and the explosive guys to maybe attack that secondary because that's where Pittsburgh might be able to be had a little bit more. And Eagles don't have that, so I think it's yeah. probably a long they, day. For Carson Wentz
3: in the office. Are they going? Is it, is it going to be Greg Ward again? Granted, he was pretty solid. Deshaun Jackson was limited. And that's today. the other thing.
1: Pittsburgh has done a very good job defending running backs, and we know that Miles Sanders is one of the few weapons that Philadelphia does have.
3: Yeah, that they actually have. And Yeah, again, the, this, the wide receiver core is just beat up as well. Jeffrey didn't practice today. I don't know if he'll play. Deshaun Jackson, even if he plays... Tight end, but out obviously out Dallas TV.
1: Goddard remains out.
3: Yeah, Goddard is on the IR. Just I'd go back to that offensive line versus the Pittsburgh front seven. Just good luck. I, I think it'll be a long, long day for Wentz. You're with the Steelers, me the uh, under,
1: though?
3: Yeah, I could see the under. I I don't see how Philly can score nearly enough to, to make it over. Maybe Maybe a play on the Eagles team total under.
1: Right. Well, if you want to lay seven with the Steelers, then yeah, you would have to think it's going to be a low score yeah. for Philly.
3: Yeah, I'm a, I'm ultimately going to just play the Steelers. I think this is a good a good teaser leg to to throw in with a couple others.
1: Completely agree with you there. Before we hit our commercial break, let's just touch briefly on the uh, game that's off the board right now. It's also an AFC North team. Two of them in the. Pittsburgh, I'm sorry, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. This game was available earlier in the week, and both of us were a little frustrated before we hopped on about not betting it because we saw that Baltimore was a 13.5-point favorite. I did not see what the total was. But Lamar Jackson does not practice Wednesday or Thursday this week. Doesn't sound like it's anything too serious, but anytime you see a quarterback not practice, the bookmakers are going to get out in front of that and take the game off the board for liability purposes, obviously. But I did think the Bengals, and this is one I'm curious to see how it adjusts to uh, when it comes to uh, prime time or uh, the, when it comes back on the board. I should say, because I did think the Bengals were pretty interesting at 13 and a half. They've been covering numbers three and one against the spread in Cincinnati. I mentioned the when we were talking about Washington and how Washington was, you know, kinda in that game for ATS purposes against Baltimore. Well Baltimore it was an unconvincing fourteen point victory. It kinda felt like they just kind of lollygagged a little to the finish line. And you gotta think that the Bengals are a pretty confident group. Just they get their first win, right? And Burrow has already talked about how you know he hates losing and he obviously did very little of that in his college days. So I, I just think that's a good locker room right now in Cincinnati. You're going to give me two touchdowns. Again, I don't know that we're going to get two touchdowns come Sunday, but I'm going to be looking at the Bengals.
3: No, I think I think it will probably come back on the board a little bit under that. Unfortunately, I wish we did get in at the 13.5. Even if Jackson can't play, he's been limited all week with a knee injury. So how effective can he really be in the offense runs through him, especially on the ground game. We saw... Well, right, And Abbey not that struggled.
1: Cincinnati is a great defense, but yeah. if, if he's got knee problems, then maybe he just plays more conservatively anyway, and we've seen when he has been in the pocket, obviously he's less effective.
3: Yeah, we saw that against Kansas City. They couldn't really throw the ball down the field. They limited them through the air, so he's a little banged up especially in the injury how much is he really going to be running yeah by no means cincinnati is not a good defense but if jackson's a little shaken up maybe they'll just go ground and pound i think that could lean to the under which would also speak to the bangles getting that many points
1: so let's take a break and check in with our sponsors uh and come back and wrap up the rest of the rotation. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local favorites are also available on DoorDash. Just open the DoorDash app and select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and... Zero delivery fees with their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's the code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first
2: order with DoorDash.
1: And we are back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast, Greg Frank, with you as always, find all of my gambling picks on Twitter, at UndercoverGreg, Alex Uplinger is our producer and now co-host, running our Twitter at Full underscore Slate underscore Pod, running through the NFL Week 5 rotation Uh, Let's move into some of these late afternoon games. We'll share some thoughts on the COVID-related changes as well, as those games are not on the board uh, for betting purposes, but we expect to see them thrown up there in the coming days. Uh, But let's talk about a game that is available, and that is the Miami Dolphins, number 469 in the rotation, traveling west to take on the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco is laying nine points at home in this one with a total of 51 and a half. And obviously, the big thing surrounding this game is the status of Jimmy Garoppolo. And certainly, San Francisco could use Garoppolo back in the fold as he has practiced uh, on a limited basis on Wednesday and limited on Thursday. Uh, but it does seem as if he is trending towards taking the field again. But Alex, I'll just say this a general rule of thumb for me, especially with a number this high, is anytime we see quarterbacks return from injuries or quarterback changes, if you see if you if you have a big spread. I just I just don't want any piece of it because I just think the variance might be pretty high. And, for example, if you like the 49ers and you're going to bank on Garoppolo being able to distribute the ball, and not that they normally ask him to do a ton, but if you like the 49ers, you bet them because you think Garoppolo is going to be his normal self and be fine, But I just don't know how you can bank on that here. You know, so anytime there's a quarterback change or a return from an injury, it's just a general rule of thumb for me that that first game back with the quarterback returning or the change, it's hard for me to bet on it in either way, shape, or form. And then we look at the other side. We have a Ryan Fitzpatrick quarterback team, and we know what those teams do. Fitzpatrick can be one of the highest, widest range of outcomes quarterbacks in the league. We just saw Nick Foles tonight. He's right up there with Fitzpatrick when it comes to a wide range of outcomes. You have no idea what you're getting on a weekly basis. Nine-point line here. San Francisco off the loss. I, I don't see much that I like here.
3: Uh, one note is that Byron Jones was a full participant in practice, so that's that's good for Miami. That's their best corner, their biggest free agent signing. Yeah, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this game. That line feels a little high, but like you were saying, it's tough to to predict what you're going to get from Fitzpatrick. Just such a wide range of outcomes. That nine just feels a little high. I, I think if anything, I would play the under. Maybe Garoppolo comes out a little sluggish if he does play, and they they rely more on the ground game. And then you hope that uh, San Francisco can can slow down the Fitz Magic. Maybe he doesn't have it this week because so inconsistent. Who knows what he's going to show up with?
1: Here's the other thing about Fitz Magic. For as great of a DFS play as everybody thought he was last week, and I had Miami plus a seven, It pissed me off. I got the best of the number, and they still lose by eight against Seattle. But against that awful Seattle defense. He throws two interceptions and does not throw a touchdown.
3: So and what they kick four field goals, right? And I think the the over pushed. Yeah, I lost exactly my hook there. there. I
1: got fifty four and a half.
3: Okay, so I, I think I. I think I had fifty. 20, yeah, I think I had fifty four and. It, yep. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. So
1: that, I think that's the exact point, though, with Ryan Fitzpatrick is that. You're going to have games when he looks pretty bad like he did last week. Even though he ends up throwing for over 300 yards against Seattle when everybody kind of thinks it's a good spot for Fitzmagic against a bad defense.
0: Well, but then, that's
3: Seattle it's, secondary. That's, it's the worst. It's the it's, worst in the NFL. It's for the NFL, exactly. Game. Yeah. But then
1: you're going to have games like last year when he goes into Gillette Stadium with the number two seed in the AFC on the line for New England, and he beats him outright as a 14-point dog or whatever it was. So, you know, 10-point dog, that season opener when he was in Tampa, he goes into the Superdome and beats the, the Saints. Like, it's just That's what he the
3: magic. Does. Yeah, that's the magic.
1: That's the magic. <laughs> and, and so maybe this is the exact spot where the magic strikes. But if you watched them last week like I did because I backed them, I was just like, this is annoying. Like, they keep kicking field goals against a bad defense. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
1: You know? So I'm not going to look at anything here in Miami and San Francisco. One game that I'm very interested in, that is in the Big D, as the New York Giants, number 471 in the rotation, take on the Dallas Cowboys, number 472. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, This is my favorite bet of the year so far in the National Football League. I am taking the New York Giants plus the nine. I think you can still get nine and a half at some shops. You might have to lay 20 cents to do it, but the Giants are catching nine, nine and a half, total of 54, and I think the Giants are a great bet here because when we look at the Giants, I think coming into the year, everybody kind of felt like, all right, Daniel Jones, second year, Saquon Barkley, you know, and and Darius Slayton looks like a nice revelation for them on the outside. I think everybody kind of thought the offense might look okay. And the concerns were on the defensive side of the ball. Well, guess what? Their defense has played well. They are fifth in the NFL in total defense. You pick a defensive metric and they've done well. And Jared Goff last week acknowledged that. That
2: people were asking him, well, what happened?
1: You know, you, you guys offensively did not look very good, the Rams, against the Giants. And he just came right out and said, you know, the Giants defense deserves a lot of credit. They played well. And so I, that was the side of the ball that we had a lot of concerns about. You know, coming into the season, they release DeAndre Baker, and they bring in Logan Ryan right. right before the season starts, and it's like, oh, well, their secondary is a mess, and – Their front seven is not good enough to make up for it. Week one, Pittsburgh's going to have a field day with them. Steelers only scored 26 points. Giants were in the game. Dale Jones turned the ball over in the red zone in that game. You know, so if you're going to give me this Giants defense that has been playing so well, as I said last week against the Rams, Giants hold their own. And if the offense could have gotten anything going, Giants would have a chance to win that game outright. as a
2: two-touchdown underdog. So the question with the Giants is always going to be on their offense. But when you need to get the offense going, there's no better defense to play than the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, what an
1: absolute train wreck of a defense. The Cleveland Browns destroyed them last week on the ground. And I know that Saquon Barkley's not there for the Giants anymore, but I wonder if it matters. Because the Browns did whatever they wanted.
2: Even Jarvis Landry throws a touchdown. But 307 rushing yards for the Browns last week, and that's a game that Nick Chubb gets hurt in? Whew.
1: If you're laying this kind of number with the Cowboys defense, more power to you because this is something we've talked about. If your defense cannot get off the field, how can I lay points like over a touchdown with you? That seems crazy. And so, this feels like the perfect get right spot for this Giants offense and Daniel Jones. And maybe he's thinking that Two, watching one of his quarterbacks in the division and in the same draft class, Dwayne Haskins, just get benched. I think this is a great opportunity for the Giants to right the wrongs offensively and for their defense to keep playing well. Okay, they got 16 against the Steelers' defense. Okay?
2: That's the Steelers' defense. Now they're playing the Cowboys'
1: defense. Let's get up into the low 20s, 22, 23, maybe 24 points. If they can get there, they will definitely cover because then they just have to keep the Cowboys in the low 30s. And this is a Giants defense that's playing well. I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but I love the Giants getting this many points. Alex, what do you have on this game?
3: Greg, anytime someone tells you it's their bet of the year, you have – you have to take it. No questions asked. I just I just locked in the the Giants plus nine point five. I uh I don't have much more to add. I I'm completely on your side now. You you convinced me this this Cowboys defense is absolutely atrocious.
0: And the Giants are
3: doing it without Xavier McKinney, their uh second round pick who was rated to start. So yeah, they've they've looked They've looked pretty solid, and they've been passive
1: They've been more than passable, and above average NFL defense.
3: Exactly, and if they can get two to three stops on the Cowboys, can can the Cowboys really stop anyone at this point? Doesn't this it feel saying, like the it? Cowboys
1: are going to have to score every possession to cover
3: this number, right? Literally, and we've seen the Cowboys turn the ball over a ton of times. So
1: maybe that's just what the doctor ordered for an offense in the Giants that has been cold. You know, like. It just feels like everything lines up for the Giants here.
3: Exactly, but does it feel a little too good to be true? Doesn't this feel like a huge number? Like a you, know, folks, you know considering all these things. The the defense is terrible. I mean, like,
1: I'm excited about this game, obviously. I said it's my favorite spot of the year so far. And then you remember, well, these point spreads are always supposed to be fifty fifty propositions, you know? So
3: Right, if, aren't they just begging us to run to the window for the Giants? That, that's kind of right. how it feels. Which, which I did after your your convincing argument. I immediately took the Giants right now. You know,
1: it's and, and like forget how the Cowboys' defense is playing. If I just told you in a game between two NFC East teams, there's going to be a almost double digit line, you would have said you're crazy. Like, this division stinks. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. You know, it feels so, way too high for a division matchup. Right?
1: right. Division matchup in general, much less the NFC East. Like, no thanks. As I said, we got some other division games on the board this week. And, you know, obviously the Chiefs, they're the Chiefs. They're going to lay the big number against the Raiders. You know, and, and we got the Texans and Jags. And, gosh, we have even talking about the, in that AFC South battle how we don't want to get there with the Texans. Well... This number is almost twice that. Texans are laying five. Talk about nine and a half with the Cowboys. It's just, gosh, I, I just think it's I, I think it's off. Like I, I think the Giants have played well defensively, and Joe Judge, he, hey, he's going to win a game sooner or later. And I'm not saying they're going to win this game outright, but I, I'll tell you right now, it would not surprise me. I, I really think that the Cowboys, just, let's just stop with their offense and, you know, Oh, they have Mark Cooper. They have Cee Land. They're way better than the Eagles. They're way better. Than, no, like, they're, they're really not that good either. Like, whoever wins this division, we just have to call it how it is. It was more than Garrett. Like, And we're seeing the defense get exposed. The Cowboys do not deserve to be nine-point favorites over anyone. They just, they just don't. They're an average team at best. So that's my rant. Giants so, are going to cover this number.
3: A little and, sprinkle on the money line?
1: And a little sprinkle on the money line. That's right. Let's so uh, let, let's, let's roll. Giants, plus the points, you can get them at longer than three. To- I hit on the Eagles on the money line last week. I'm doing it again with another NFC East team. Giants are a live underdog in Dallas. Let's keep things moving and go up to Northeast Ohio, where we have the Indianapolis Colts traveling to take on the Cleveland Browns, a total of 47 in this game. Here's another game that has been bet down quite a bit as Cleveland seems to be taking a lot of money as the Colts opened as a two and a half point favorite on the highway. Now the game is down to pick them. Uh, Cleveland getting some respect at the betting window after that victory in Dallas last week. Alex, I don't know that I can get there with the Brown side, uh, but I probably would lean that way because Cleveland's offense showed a lot of life last week. And I know Indianapolis has been amazing defensively, you know, but, Let's remember who they've played. Last week, you know, they were playing the Bears. That's not a good offense. I'll just be nice and say that. They were playing the Jets. You know, not a good offense. You know, be nice and say that. You know, week one, they played the Jags and actually lost that game, even though their defense, in terms of yardage, held its own. And week two, Kirk Cousins laid an egg. Not saying that Indianapolis' defense is fool's gold. I think they've played well, but...
2: Cleveland's offense woke up, and, and and they looked good,
1: and I'm not totally sold on Indy yet. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. So I would lean towards Cleveland, but my stronger play here is going to be on the game to go under the total of 47. And the reason I like this so much is because we know that both of these teams are running teams, right? And even after Nick Chubb went down, Dearness Johnson comes in to tandem with Kareem Hunt. And Cleveland is running the ball, obviously, with a lot of success against Dallas, as we just discussed. And Phillip Rivers is looking every bit the part of a quarterback in his 40s. I mean, Jonathan Taylor gets drafted in the second round for a reason. And they have obviously shown a desire to run the football. T.Y. Hilton has not been himself. So we have a pair of running teams with Cleveland and Indianapolis. But both these teams are top 10 in yards per carry against. And so my question then comes, well, if you have two teams that want to run the ball offensively, but two teams that are good at defending the run, then how does either team score enough to get this total over? I think 47 is too high. So I I like this game under quite a bit.
3: Yeah, Colts one of the better defenses against the run and then Brown's one of the best offenses with the run so something's got to give here what what gives I would I would lean to the defense I'd lean to the under ultimately I think I think Cleveland has enough offensive weapons on the outside to probably win this game I don't trust Philip Rivers at all but yeah I think the strongest play here is on the under as well
1: so let's wrap things up with some primetime games. We'll touch on the COVID games as well. Just give some thoughts there. But the games we know that are on the board right now, the Minnesota Vikings traveling to the Pacific Northwest to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Minnesota got its first win of the year. Maybe they're feeling good. Reinvigorated 475 in the rotation are the Vikings. Number 476 is Seattle. Total of 56 and a half. Obviously, Seattle games, week in and week out, are going to have high totals. We've seen the Minnesota defense at times in the first quarter of the season struggle. But it's the age-old trend of Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks in primetime against Kirk Cousins in primetime. And we kind of know how that turns out more often than not. The Seahawks, in night games since 2007, are 26-9-3 against the spread. That is hitting at a 74% clip. So initially, my lean was pretty strongly to Seattle, but I do wonder about Minnesota. Their offense seems to have gotten things going. And the last couple of weeks against Tennessee in Week 3 and against Houston in Week 4, they've gotten Dalvin Cook going. And Justin Jefferson has been a nice revelation for them offensively. Back-to-back 100-yard games for the rookie receiver. Adam Thielen had a 100-yard game last week against the Texans. So it looks like this offense is coming into form, in which case I do think that maybe there's a chance that they can put up enough points to cover this number. But I kind of stop in saying that because even though there's no fans in Seattle, Does it even matter for Kirk Cousins in prime time anymore? Is he going to fold under the bright lights? I still lean towards Seattle, and I will probably play it. But I will say, I will hope that this gets to 6.5, which I think it might, because it sounds like there's been some Minnesota money. And I think Seattle is probably better as a teaser leg. I would look at them in a teaser with Pittsburgh this week, as we talked about earlier. Alex, how do you see Sunday night football?
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm I'm throwing Seattle in with the Steelers in a six point tease, but I'm also going to play the over. It's not quite high enough for this trend, but it's right there. Totals of fifty seven or higher are twenty one eight and one to the over. Wow, that's so that's very convincing, and both these secondaries are pretty poor and. Jamal Adams in practice again today. Bobby Wagner was limited, so that's two huge pieces of right. their defense. And Minnesota's ranked 29th in uh, passing yards. They give up 291 per game. And Seattle, we know, can exploit that. They have some great deep threat weapons, some great passing options. I think Another this thing, ultimately too, that I'll add on
1: the defenses, you mentioned the secondaries. I know that Minnesota got Yannick Ngankwe in trade from Jacksonville, but Daniel Hunter might miss the season. Like his trainer came out this week and said he might need to take the whole season off. And Seattle really misses Clowney. Like neither of these teams, particularly Seattle can generate much of a pass rush.
3: No, no, no pass rush at all. So I think, I think they could take apart them. Uh, Seattle's second in the NFL, in points per game, they scored 35.5 points per game, and then Minnesota's right there at 26.5 points per game. I think this could easily get over. My biggest concern is that Kirk Cousins in prime time, is he going to lay an egg again like he usually does?
1: Yeah, no, uh, that's, and that's why I can't play Minnesota here. I mean, I, I just uh, – while I as I said, the offense waking up kind of makes me want to take the seven – Just as I say that, again, it's Russ and Pete Carroll in primetime Sunday Night Football. Granted, they needed a big play from the defense, but they covered that Week 2 number against the New England Patriots. And that was a game that was high scoring, and Cam was able to match Russ almost score for score. Still not sure if Cousins is going to do that. And as I said, I think because my initial lean was so strong on Seattle, I probably still will get there. It is a little bit of a Joe Public play, uh, but I think I'll probably get there with the Hawks on Sunday night football um, for at least one unit. Let's wrap things up with Monday night football. The LA chargers traveling to new Orleans. It sounds like this game is still going to be played in new Orleans as they had the hurricane stuff that was potentially bumping the game. So I think they're going to play in Indianapolis, you know, 2020, I guess maybe they're going to play in Australia. You know, I mean, who knows, but um, (laughs) the chargers are seven and a half point dog in this game, uh, and we're seeing a total of 50, 50, right on the dot, I should say. Um, You know, and and some interesting nuggets to chew on here. Justin Herbert has been named the full-time starter in L.A. with the Chargers. Not a huge surprise there. We talked about this before we hopped on. The New Orleans defense looks like they're getting healthier. Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Davenport probably returning. Michael Thomas, Should be able to be returning for them offensively on the outside. So a healthier Saints team, maybe a get-right spot for the New Orleans defense that has not played well, Um, you know, a chance for them to eat a rookie quarterback alive. I know no fans, but you're still talking about a rookie quarterback going into the Superdome in a prime-time spot on Monday Night Football. Um, Seven and a half seems a little steep, but um, I think under is kind of interesting here because, as I said, I think that New Orleans defense back home probably looks to make a little bit of a statement here. Um, Obviously, New Orleans last week against Detroit almost let the Lions all the way back in that game. The Lions end up scoring 29 points on the Saints defense. We saw the Saints in prime time get embarrassed defensively by the Vegas Raiders, and obviously that's a Vegas offense that is not very explosive, was still able to hang 34 on them. I think the under is a smart play here just because, as I said, I do think that New Orleans defense looks at this as a get-right get right game. Uh, the only thing that would lean me away from it, and I'll probably still play it, but the one thing that does give me cause for pause, Michael Thomas coming back. Obviously, that's one of the guys. You talk to the guys that have power ratings and the sharps, they all will tell you that Michael Thomas is worth a point normally, to point spreads. For a non-quarterback, that's very significant. So I do think that this could be somebody that reignites the entire New Orleans offense. And, hey, even without them, they scored 35 last week in Detroit. Still leaning under, though, I think that the New Orleans defense comes out and proves that they are the backbone of this team. They're going to go as the defense goes. I know that it's Breeze and it's Thomas and it's Kamara, but this defense has to figure it out eventually. So I think the under is a smart look.
3: I agree. It looks like they're getting healthy. Malcolm Jenkins, Marshawn Lattimore, and Marcus Davenport all were limited in practice. So it looks like they're probably all going to play. And Rookie under the bright lights, like you said, no fans. But this is still a huge spot. This is the biggest game of his career. That's a tough look going into New Orleans, no matter the situation. That's, that's a tough tough spot to be in as a quarterback. I think the under feels like the play here.
1: Let's wrap things up and just give a few thoughts on the other COVID games. Prior to the Chargers and the Saints, they will kick off at 5 o'clock Eastern at Gillette Stadium, fingers crossed, between the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots. Denver, obviously, will have about 10 days to get ready for this one, having played on the East Coast last Thursday night against the Jets. And then normal rest for New England going Monday to Monday. I think it's probably going to be Jared Stidham getting the start for quarterback, but Alex, is there anything, obviously it's hard to talk about a ton without the game on the board and side in total to break down, but is there anything just early that you're kind of looking at from a, uh, a gambling perspective of things that you're going to look for in this one?
3: Yeah, I would probably look to the under with two questionable quarterbacks coming in. Like you He's said, right. it's, it's probably
1: could be back for Denver.
3: Yeah, Locke could be back. I think he was practicing this week a little. It it, it feels like a good underspot, Just a get in, get out. Belichick's going to scheme up some sort of run game with Stidham not looking great in his few opportunities last week. It it can't possibly be Hoyer again, right?
1: Yeah, no. I it's going to be Stidham, or I, I don't think it's going to be Cam. I'm expecting Stidham for New
3: England. No, I assume. And then Stephen Gilmore, I I can't imagine he plays right after a positive test this week. Right, Yeah, so it's tough to call without any sort of numbers. But hey,
1: if there's any week where you're going to miss your best defender, it would be against against a Denver team that doesn't have Cortland Sutton and might still not have Drew Locke.
3: Yeah, and I think Noah Fant is questionable as well. That's one of their bigger weapons, especially for an inexperienced quarterback. It's Easy to check down to those big tight ends. Yeah, I would I would lean under here. Maybe you look to the Broncos as well. I didn't didn't love what I saw from Stidham last week, granted in very limited time.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's probably smart. I mean New England we know has been such a run heavy team and Philip Lindsay probably going to return for the Broncos. So whether Locke's out there or not you would think between Gordon and Lindsay, they want to run the ball a lot themselves. Probably a smart look. I think first half under might be even smarter because if you're talking about Jared Stidham and Drew Locke, if that is the quarterback matchup, then you're getting Locke back, you know, if he does play in his first game back in a month and then you're getting Stidham who you would think they want to ease into things and they might not take some shots early. Um, So I think first half under might be a smarter play, but, um, I, I don't really have much of a feel for the side, that's for sure. Uh, let's wrap things up with the Tuesday game that we hope is played between Tennessee and Buffalo. Obviously, Tennessee will have had over two weeks off. Do we think maybe, you know, do we talk about coming out of buys as being a good thing? But given everything that's going on with the Titans, I might think that, you know, early on it might be, talk about first half plays. Bills in the first half could be an interesting look here just because, you know, how ready are the Titans to play a football game?
3: Yeah, I think I think first half, under could be a good play. You know, Tennessee, their identity is running the ball. Maybe they come out a little rusty, a little slow after after not playing a game in two weeks. And then Bills also, they should want to run the ball. I know they can open it up. Yeah, so Bills... Bill's first half is is definitely inviting. I I love the Bills this year. I'm on the Bills to win the AFC East, and then I'm on the little Josh Allen MVP, so I'm always rooting for him.
1: Sure. Yeah, and and obviously we're not going to go too deep into these games. At the time of our recording, they are scheduled to be played on Monday night at 5 o'clock Eastern and on Tuesday night at, what's it, 6 o'clock Eastern, I think they're going to play that game in Nashville. So we just hope that those games happen and the National Football League can proceed with the conclusion of the Week 5 slate. But that is going to do it for us as I check-in. It is a 6 o'clock Central, my time, so 7 o'clock kick, uh, it would appear, between the Titans and the Bills as far as the Eastern time zone is concerned. And it is a 5 o'clock Eastern kick between Denver and New England. Again, fingers crossed there. Alex, always fun. Enjoy Week 5.
3: You too. I'm excited for some hopeful uh, Tuesday night football. feels like Maxon's back.
1: Hey, I'm an Eagles fan. So if you remember the last Tuesday night game, it was Joe Webb and the Minnesota Vikings. I was at the game. They go into the link and beat the Eagles. Joe Webb was a quarterback who had wide receiver eligibility in fantasy football.
3: Is that game ringing any bells for you? <laughs> a little bit. I definitely remember Joe Webb coming in there. <laughs>
1: It was the week after Deshaun Jackson ran the punt back against the Giants, uh, and Matt Dodge punted it to him after the Eagles were down thirty-one ten in the fourth oh, quarter.
3: Oh, I, I remember that game very well. That was, yes, and was an unfortunately, it ended up
1: being that ended up being the last game the Eagles won that season. They lost to Minnesota in the Joe Webb game the week after, and then they had a meaningless game for no seeding on the line or whatever the last game of the regular season that they lost. Then they lost to the eventual Super Bowl champions. That would be the Green Bay Packers went into Philadelphia that year and beat the Eagles. That was the first of the three straight road games that the Packers won back with a young Aaron Rodgers then. So I just hope that Tuesday night game, it can be played. And now when I hear Tuesday night football, I won't
3: think Joe Webb anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. A little Maction before the Maction starts There you
1: up. go. Exactly. That'll wrap things up for us. Find Alex managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. Find all of my gambling picks on gambling Twitter at undercover Greg. Let's briefly check in with our sponsor, Bet Online. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And again, that concludes this episode of Full Slate. Everyone enjoy NFL Week 5, and of course, please play responsibly.